0: So I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 16. We're going to look at one verse there. There is a Bible app event for this. So if you have a smartphone, you can follow along that way. And it'll be helpful because we're going to look at a lot of passages. I'm just going to read them though. I'm not going to have you flipping around. Um, stick with the Psalm 16.5. We'll come back to that at the end of the message. We'll read it here in just a moment. When I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been relying on something and it let you down? <laughs> what a stupid question, right? Of course I have. Maybe it was a spare tire. I've been going down the road before myself, and whoa, I think I got a flat. I pull over, I open the trunk, and guess what's in the trunk? Another flat. Right there it is, right? And I felt like, because I had a spare tire, that I was secure, but it was a counterfeit security. Or maybe it's happened to you with your smartphone. When I got my first smartphone, I said, "This this, this phone has an alarm that will gradually increase in volume and play any Beatles song I want it to. How could getting up in the morning be any better than that, right? And so I set it up, and you know what it did? It didn't. That's exactly what it did. It didn't. And I don't know how I got to church on time that morning. It must have been God that got me going that morning. Because I thought I was secure with my smartphone alarm, but it failed me. It was counterfeit security. How about this? How about a radar detector? You ever had a radar detector? You feel like I can go 150 miles an hour, because I have a radar detector. But I can't tell you, uh, if I tell you how I know this, I might have to kill you. I can tell you that they're, they're, they fail, right? And uh, <laughs> they do. Yeah. You feel like you're secure, but it's a counterfeit security. Now, sometimes that counterfeit security is about small things. Other times, it's a little more costly. For example, I read an article this past week about in February of this year, a longtime financial advisor. He lived in Danferns, Massachusetts. He enrolled 30 new clients and he told those clients, most of them older, that he was going to invest their money and he would get a big return on it. And this was their retirement money, this was their security, this was their life savings and you know what the state investigators discovered. He blew it all and it was all gone. You couldn't even collect it back from him. They thought, these people thought they were financially secure, they thought because he was a long time investor it was safe and it turned out to be a counterfeit security. That's what we're talking today about today counterfeit security, because this might be more common than we would like to think. I would say to you, there are a lot of forms of counterfeit security, but genuine security always comes from God. Always. And Psalm 16.5 speaks about that. So just look at that one verse and listen as I read it aloud. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Hear that again. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. God gives genuine security. I want to take a few minutes today and talk about places we look for security. And I have them five Ps of, of seeking security. I don't usually alliterate sermons. This just happened this way. And so I think that's handy. The first one is uh, Possessions. We tend to find security or try to find security in the things that we have. Growing up, my dad, I don't ever remember him having a brand new car. Yeah, I do. Come to think of it, I do. But it was rare. Dad always bought older cars. Sometimes dad bought jalopies. Now, he could do this because my dad could fix anything. You know, do you have a dad that could fix anything? How many have a dad? My dad could fix anything. Put your hand up. Yeah. My dad could fix your dad. That's what I'm saying. Right? That's what I'm saying. And so having an old used car was not a problem. Having a jalopy was not a problem for him because he had the ability to fix whatever was broken. But when he reached older age, retirement age, in retrospect, I see that he always bought new cars. And he bought new cars that had a 100,000 mile warranty on them. Because when he was 70 years old, he said, it's kind of hard to crawl underneath a car and do a brake job, or do whatever needed to be done there. And he felt as though having a new car with that extended warranty gave him a security in that which he possessed. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, except it doesn't always work. My father didn't live to see this, but in recent years, you saw it if you were paying attention. Those car companies with those big (laughs) warranties They said, we're in financial difficulty. Your warranty is canceled. Huh. It seemed like something I possessed was very secure, but it turned out to be a counterfeit security. Possessions. Yeah, that's one of the places we look. Here's another place we look. We look to power. I want to have power, so um, that'll make me secure. I want to be strong, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to exercise and lift weights. I want to have power, I'm getting a weapon. I'm getting more weapons. I'm getting a lot of weapons. I'm going to get tools, because I'm getting power tools. That's the kind I'm getting. I'm going to take a self-defense course. I am going to get a degree. I'm going to get more education. And in each of those, we're looking to get power so we can feel safe, so we can feel secure. Education is often a quest for finding security in power. I have a friend. He's kind of a little guy. I wouldn't say that if he was here, because he's a little self-conscious about it. You don't know him. You've never met him. But this buddy of mine <laughs> something I noticed early on in my relationship with him is he knew everything. I mean he was so intelligent. He he knew about politics, he knew about history, he understood mathematics, he understood science, he understood quantum physics, he understood technology, he knew people, and he understood people and he knew who was doing what. All that stuff sort of, and, and I don't know why, but it just occurred to me one time, we were sitting together, and I thought, this guy has so much knowledge. And then in my brain, I said, this guy is so little. And so I asked him, I said, you know, you're you're one of the smartest people I know. You know more than Google. But there wasn't such thing as Google then. But that's what I would have said. And I said, why is that? Listen to this sentence. Because knowledge is power. Power. It is. Knowledge is power. And that's fine. Do that. You know, do those sorts of things. But understand, those sources of power that you are leaning on can very well run dry. When when you read in Scripture, for example, in Isaiah 40, verse 30, it says, even youths grow tired and weary. How many miles did you run this morning? 12 miles, yeah. Can you run another 12 this afternoon, please? How about another 12 this evening? See, even youths grow tired and weary. (laughs) Yeah, right? Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. So if you're looking for your security and power, Nah, I'm not sure that you're going to find it there. Here's another place we look for security in position. Positions of leadership, positions of prestige, positions that get us recognition. Positions in which we might find, find honor. Hm. I have this position. You need to respect me. By the way, I know a lot of you call me Steve. I know others call me Pastor Steve. I'd really like to be called the most holy reverend from now on. <laughs> it's just funny, isn't it? Yeah. There was a young man who came to Mahaffey Camp back in the day when pastors used to volunteer for the work there. And he was a new pastor and he came into the camp store. And when he came in, everyone's standing in a circle and everybody introduced yourself. We got to this guy and he said, my name's Dr. John. He's like 24 years old. And the old guys, you know, the 50, 60, 70, 80 year old pastors who were there looked and said, good to meet you, John. That's Dr. John. I don't know whatever happened to him, but he's gone. Not just gone from the Maffee Camp store. I just don't feel like that prestige, I'm sorry, that position was something he should have longed for that way. In fact, Jesus says this. Listen to John I'm sorry, listen to Jesus in Luke 14, starting at verse 8. He said, When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor. For a position a person more distinguished than you might be invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, Give this person your seat, and they who will be humiliated have to take the least important place. And Jesus adds later, he says, for those who exalt himself will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Striving for position does not give you any security. Here's the fourth P. We look for security in people. What's the saying? It's not what you know, it's who you know. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that, right? There's a lot of truth to that. And some people get a lot of their security by knowing the right people. (laughs) It amuses me. I happen to be on the ordination council of the Christian Missionary Alliance. When young pastors who want to be ordained find that out, I'm their buddy. How did that happen, right? And and honestly, (laughs) they feel that they'll secure their credentials by knowing me. It doesn't happen. Because wise people, I'm not saying I'm wise, but I got this much smarts, see that as nothing more than flattery and that actually erodes security rather than build it. It Creates counterfeit security. Here's the fifth place, the fifth P. We look for security in our performance. Look mom, no hands, right? You said that, right? You've heard your kids say that. Look, look at me, look what I'm doing, look how well I'm performing here. And some people never stop doing that and some people that leaks into their, every aspect of their life and even our church life at times. Even things done in church can be a matter of performance, so I feel secure. And it's such a common occurrence that one pastor I know addressed it in a very radical way. This was like 30 years ago, and I heard him speaking, and he said, I finally just said to everyone in my church, because I knew none of these guys are doing this to honor God. They're doing this so that they have a secure place in a church. And I stood in front of them, and I said, Would everyone who's doing a ministry here, please, for, for the sake of their own security... Would everyone who's doing a ministry here for their own security just stop doing it? (laughs) Did you hear my wife just laugh out loud over there? (laughs) And here's why. She doesn't know, but she's in a sermon this morning. She hates it when I do this. Pray for me. (laughs) I came back, back from that conference. I told my wife about that. And my wife says, sweetheart, don't say that. Don't say that. Because she knows and I know. And he discovered that pastor said, I lost a lot of workers that day. You know? Because it's very common for us to do the things we're doing, a teaching ministry, oversight of this or that, a performance, preaching, worship leading, all those things. Often we do them because that sense of performing that ministry makes us feel safe and secure in the kingdom. And I want to suggest to you that someday that will be taken from you. Someday I won't be able to preach. Someday you won't be able to do whatever it is that you do. And if your security is firmly rooted in that performance, then what? Then what? Now, I want to look more closely at the dangers of these counterfeits, these five Ps. And I want to begin by saying that possessions tend to be a deceitful source of security. They're downright deceptive. And one of the reasons for that is because they tend to deteriorate. Do you remember the smartphone that you have now? Do you remember when you got it? Do you remember how fast it was? Whoa, now this phone is, it's really moving. And then like two years later, you're like, I have to charge my battery like twice a day, and I'm still waiting for it to go through its startup routine from when the battery died. And you can see right there that stuff, that possessions tend to deteriorate. Jesus knows this. In fact, he says in Matthew 6, 19, Don't store up treasures on earth. I love how the new NIV, the 2011 NIV, translates this. It uses one of my favorite words. Ready? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. I mean, who doesn't love the word vermin, right? Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Things deteriorate. And if if you treasure things, they're not going to last, but there is a much more ominous reason than just their deterioration that I say to you that possessions are deceptive. And here's why. Finding your security in your possessions actually distracts you from God. Did you hear that? If you find security in the things you have, the money you have, whatever it is, that is actually a distraction that turns your attention away from God. They're kind of like sirens, and I'm not talking about police or fire sirens. You know, that word in our English language actually comes from Greek myth, where those who sailed, Ulysses and so on, who sailed, as they would go past certain islands, they knew to put wax in their ears because near this island they had heard that there are sirens, women on there who have a siren call. It went like this. Baby, baby. (laughs) I don't know if that'll go online or not. (laughs) And as they're going by and they hear that, these sailors are like, oh, let's go that way. But the sirens were deceptive. And they were there for nothing other than to lure the ships into the rocks to their destruction. That's what Jesus says, stuff, possessions, money is like he's telling the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 and in verse 22 as he speaks of the gospel as a seed he says the seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and here's the phrase the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful yeah stuff it's deceptive more than that, it 's dangerous because of its deceptive activity it 's a counterfeit. How about the next P? The danger in the second P is that power is unreliable. Did your electric go out this past week? See, power 's unreliable. What about empires? Superpower. Egypt. Not anymore. Persia. Not anymore. Greece. not anymore. Rome, not anymore. The sun never sets on the British Empire. Not anymore. Because power is unreliable. Think of Muhammad Ali. I mean, I didn't like him because he was so mouthy, but he floated like a butterfly and stung like a bee. Did you see him in the decades preceding his death? All that power. gone. It was a sad thing to see. And it reminded me that power is fleeting. Whether it's wrapped up in your punch, or your personality, or your charm, or your verbal skills, or your good looks, (laughs) or your physical strength, or your athletic ability, or your intellectual prowess, your power will fail you. And if power is what makes you feel secure, when it fails you, then what? Scripture says in Psalm 33:16, "No king is saved by the size of his army, no warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance, despite all its strength, it cannot save, And then it goes on to say that God saves. Power is an unreliable source of security. How about the third P? The danger of the third P is it's just downright tricky. Position is kind of a tricky thing, and all of us have position. You know, maybe you're a parent. that's a position. Maybe you own your own business, that's a position. Maybe you're a boss at work, that's a position. Maybe you're an elder or a teacher in in your church, that's a position. Maybe you're the pastor, that's a position. And those positions are tricky places to be because sometimes we can gain security from them. Like, yeah, I'm here and I'm somebody because of it. My security comes from my position. When Jesus talks about position, he says they're given to us so we can serve. He's speaking to the 12 in Luke chapter 22, verse 25. He says, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Not so with you. You are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules, like the one who serves. And he goes on to say, look at me. I'm Jesus. What a position is that? But I'm here to serve. So who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Jesus. But who's next? You might be surprised. Somebody might say, well, I think Billy Graham was next. I think Billy Graham would say, nope, 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 nope. It might be the person who mops the floor. Maybe that person is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus goes on and says, the last will be first and the first will be last. position's dangerous because it's very tricky. And it's a counterfeit if you're looking for security from it. The danger of the fourth P is that people are fickle. <laughs> Have you noticed that? People are fickle. One of my favorite things that Jesus ever said is in John 6, 26, you're gonna listen to this and say, that is a weird favorite, Steve, but it is. Jesus says this to the crowds who are following him. He's just fed thousands. He says to the crowds, he says, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're pretty fickle, Jesus says. If I wasn't filling you, if I wasn't giving you these loaves, you'd leave. I know what you're like. And by the way, by the end of that chapter, that was verse 26. By verse 66, Jesus' popularity has dropped from thousands of followers to just a few. It says from this time on, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The numbers became so slim that at one point Jesus just looks and he says, well, what about you? He looks at the 12, 12 guys. What about you? I suppose you want to leave too? And they say, no where would we go, right? But you can see the fickleness of people, and if you're counting on people to make you secure, that's a counterfeit, a dangerous counterfeit. The danger of the fifth P is that performance is provisional. By provisional, I mean it's seasonal. It only lasts for a while. Do you remember a couple, a few years ago, maybe five or eight years ago, um, they replaced the bridge in Kermansville that goes over to the Civic Center. Do you remember that? Remember, they put in a temporary bridge there. That's a provisional bridge. And that provisional bridge served well. In fact, I liked having the intersection there better than where it is now, right? It was a good bridge, but it was temporary. It was only for a season while it was needed. And when it was gone, it was gone. Chances are, whatever service you might be performing in the kingdom of God is not unlike that bridge. It is provisional. It is temporary. It will last for a season. Times will change. Your ability will diminish, evolve. Demand will will kind of shift. And if you're deriving your deep security from your ability to perform these things, you're going to find out you're drawing from a counterfeit. So as we move our attention toward the Lord's Supper, which in about 10 minutes we'll celebrate together, I want to talk to you about the source of genuine security. And as I talk to you about that, as soon as I say that sentence, I know you've been around a while. You're saying, well, I'll bet it's God. I'll bet it's either God or Jesus. Yeah, I'll bet that's the answer. And you would be right. So let's have communion and go home. No, 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 no. Let's talk about that just a wee little bit. Can we do that? Jesus is the source of security. Naturally, it's God. But what do you do with him? How? How do you make him your source? of your security, instead of these dangerous five P's we've talked about, and I would say first, make Christ your most cherished possession. Make him your most cherished possession. Not money, not stuff, not tech, not even grandma's quilt, but Jesus, your most cherished possession. Now, if your Bible's still open to the first verse we looked at at the start of this message, you can see um, Psalm 16.5 there. Listen to it now a third time. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Remember the song? I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. If you want genuine security, you'll have to hold on loosely to everything but Jesus. And you'll have to have a death grip, so to speak, on him, because that is a grip he has on you. Find your security in him. Make him your most cherished possession. Second, as we look to communion, instead of relying on your own power, rely on God's power. Counterfeit security comes from striving in my own power. Genuine security comes from seeing that God has all the power that's necessary. And you understand the psalmist in verse, chapter 20, verse 7, where he says, some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord God. So go ahead and exercise, but trust in God. Go ahead and learn how to defend yourself, but trust in God. And go ahead and get the education, learn everything you can, but put your trust in God. Trust in his power to protect you. And that gives you genuine security. Third, as we turn toward communion, recognize your position in Christ. What is your position in Christ? I googled that. Position in Christ. There are just pages and pages and pages and pages. People write about that. Let me just say this. Your position in Christ is right there with him. Right there with him. Ephesians says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and that we are seated with him. Ha! What position was it that you wanted? What was it that you were striving for? What was that job you wanted or that ministry you wanted or that position in the family or that respect you wanted or that honor you wanted? How in the world could that be higher than being seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's your position. When you're feeling insecure, like maybe I need to strive for some attention or some acknowledgement, think about God's love for you to put you in that position. When you feel like a nobody, realize that as a Christian, none of us are nobodies. In fact, John writes in 1 John chapter 3, he says, Behold, Or the NIV says, See what great love the Father has languished on us, lavished on us rather, that we should be called children of God. In Christ, you are dearly loved. You have a seat at the table. And no one can take that position from you. It is firm in Christ. And you don't need to be squabbling for position. You're secure in Christ. Fourth, As we approach the Lord's Supper, place your heart in the hands of one person, Jesus. I'm not saying that you should never trust or love other people. You have to trust people. You will not be healthy if you are not trusting people. When you begin to stop trusting everyone, then they have a room for you somewhere, right? So you have to trust people and you have to love people and you have to receive love from people. That is something that God had in mind since the foundation of the world that we would love and be loved so that we can emotionally have those connections and spiritually, we do not stagnate. But if your only source of security is the people who love you and the people you love, you may lean on a counterfeit. You are leaning on a counterfeit. So lean into Jesus. I don't know what was going on in the life of the guy that wrote Psalm 27, but in verse 10 he says this, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. I often scratch my head and wonder, why do I think about my dad every day? He's been dead since 2001. Why do I think about my mom over and over and over again? She's been dead for a number of years as well. My conclusion is this, Laurel loves me deeply, but I don't know that anyone ever loved me as sacrificially as my father and mother. It's just a given. Fathers and mothers, if they're healthy, they love that way. And so the psalmist is saying even if the people on earth who love me the most let me down, because the potential for that exists, because people are fickle, the Lord will never let me down. And I will put my heart into his hands as I celebrate communion today. Put your heart in the hands of Christ. And fifth, as we remember Christ's death, make the performance that counts be Christ's performance on your behalf. Now look, I want to talk to you about this last point, okay? This is just so good. This is like some theology that's a real gem. It's something I did not understand until maybe six years ago, seven years ago. And I was reading, and I thought, holy mackerel, that's amazing. Read a sentence on the screen again. Focus on Christ's performance, his act of obedience. Focus on Christ's performance, his act of obedience. Some of you are like, I'm not really sure I know what that means. Good, let me help you. We understand that Jesus died for our sins. I mean, every Christian has to understand that. We understand that he humbled himself to the point of death, Philippians said, even death on the cross. And Galatians goes on to say that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, it goes on to say. Jesus took our place. And in doing that, he was exercising what theologians call passive obedience. Passive obedience. He passively allowed bad things to happen to him, even dying on a cross so that we could receive forgiveness. His passive obedience was on our behalf. And what, what we were like, think of you yourself as a, a whiteboard, and Jesus, by going to the cross and dying for your sins, and oh, this whiteboard is just covered with all kinds of graffiti and garbage and scribbling and stuff. Those are your sins. And when Jesus passively allowed himself to be crucified on your behalf, he wiped that board clean. That's the passive obedience of Christ but that is not where it ends. Theologians talk about a different kind of obedience. Jesus' active obedience on our behalf. That he actively obeyed the Father. That he actively did righteous things. That he actively, when Satan says, turn these stones into bread, he actively obeyed the father and answered him with scripture from Deuteronomy. And when he went there and his mother said, they're out of wine, he actively behaved in an honorable way and turned water into wine. And when a leper came to him, when Bartimaeus, a blind man, cries out to him, save me, he actively did a righteous thing there. And when people tried to bait him into futile arguments, he never responded in a sinful way. He actively... Proclaim the love of God to them. All those active acts of obedience count for you. Do you hear that? And I'm going to show you in scripture why or why I say that. It is not just that Jesus took your life, the whiteboard that was all scribbled on and cleaned it up and handed it back to you. He took your life, the whiteboard that was all scribbled on, and he erased your sin through his passive obedience, and then his act of obedience, he wrote it all on there and said, this obedience belongs to you. This is yours. I'm performing on your behalf. And you don't need to. You don't need to. It's yours. How do you know that, Pastor Steve? Several verses, but one is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It is because of him, that is, God the Father, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is, here it is, Christ Jesus has become our righteousness. He has become our holiness. He has become our redemption. You don't have to strive to prove yourself. It is almost as though, in one sense, it is his performance that will be judged, and it is never lacking, because he is perfect in every way. And that permits me to let go of my need to be somebody. That permits me to let go of my need to be important. I need to be the important person here. I don't have to do that. It permits me of my need and your need to be seen and recognized to perform because the performance that gives you security is that which the Lord Jesus Christ credited to your account. And that's a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing. (laughs) We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Before we do that, I want to tell you that I have leaned on all these counterfeits. (laughs) Maybe you have too. Maybe you have discovered the deceptiveness of possessions and maybe you have discovered the unreliability of power or the trickiness of position or the fickleness of people or the temporary nature of performance. Whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we think of a verse of scripture where where the apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth, one ought to examine oneself before he eats of the bread or drinks of the cup. What was going on in Corinth? They needed to do a lot of that because they were really sinning. But we apply it to ourselves and say, let's take a minute and examine ourselves. What am I looking to for security? Is it a counterfeit? Or is it Christ himself? And so in a few moments, as the music will be playing and the elements will be distributed, take that time to examine your heart. Don't examine it yourself. <laughs> you can be a little tricky if you do that. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart, show me am I relying on you, and choose to make him your security.